Acts chapter 12, and we'll be in verse, we'll be through the whole chapter, but we're going to begin in verse 1 and work through verse number 5, Acts 12, 1 through 5. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word once we've gotten that. I know we have the children in here, and I would just say to you kids, uh, you children here in the front, boy, great job. You worked hard this year. I see all those badges that you earned, and as as your pastor, I can't even begin to tell you how joyous, happy, excited for you I am. And I would just ask that during the message, you sit up real straight and tall, and you listen, and do your best to hang in there, and let's have a great time together. Let's make sure we're not giggling. Right, April? Amen. All right. Acts chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first five verses. Here we go. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And behold, he saw it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. They're coming up on Passover here. Uh, And when he had apprehended him, Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarantines of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And so we're going to look at this title tonight, God's Punishment of the Church's Persecutor. Herod was going to persecute the church, and we're going to see that God gets the victory over the persecutor, over Herod. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we pray you'd help give us the clarity of mind and heart. And, Lord, help the message to resonate with us. And, Lord, Holy Spirit, you make the applications where needed. Thank you that your word is alive and quick and powerful. And, Lord, it is able to help us divide asunder, uh, Lord, the carnal uh, from the spiritual. It's able to help us with our mind. It's able to help us with our spirit and even our physical health. Lord, we pray tonight you'd help us to hone in and let your word do a working on our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One thing is for certain, God loves the church. God loves the church. In fact, um, He is the one who bought the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the, over which, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the flock of God. Then it finishes with this phrase, which He hath purchased with his own blood. He hath purchased with his own blood. The church is not made by man. You've heard it said many times. The church was not man's idea. The church was God's idea. He bought the church with his blood. He founded the church. Uh, Barry Brown is the one that established the White Oak Baptist Church chapter of the church. But make no mistake about it, God is the one who bought the church. He is the one who authors the church. And so not only did he buy the church, he is the one who builds the church. Matthew 16, 18, uh, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking here, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now watch this. God wants the church to grow. Let me say that again. God wants the church to grow. If a church is not growing, it is not God's fault. By default, He wants the church to grow. If the church is not growing, it is the church's fault. 
You all with me? He builds the church. He wants the church to grow. He wants the church to go. And he is the one that bought the church. And he wants success. And he wants to send success. And when we get in line with God and we do it his way, God builds the church. Now, when God, what God loves, Satan hates. If God loves it, Satan hates it. And so you better believe that Satan hates the church. What God builds, Satan seeks to tear down and destroy. In fact, turn over to Matthew chapter 10 with me in your Bible, verse number 16. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that they were sure to face opposition in every way possible after he was gone. So Jesus is training the disciples and Jesus is bearing the brunt of the hatred and the rejection and the persecution and the disciples are just watching. Jesus tells them here in Matthew chapter 10, one day I'm going to leave you and uh, that shield uh, uh, that's protecting you from this persecution will be removed and you, the founders and authors of the church, you will be persecuted. Look at verse 16. Behold, I say unto you, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and Harmless as doves, look here, but be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Watch that phrase there, governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given in you that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples, and if you're a disciple of Christ, this would apply to you also. Jesus tells his disciples they would face persecution from three avenues. And you read on down and you get the third one. But the first one listed here is religious institutions. Religious institutions. Have you seen the bumper sticker that says coexist? How many of you seen that bumper sticker coexist? It's got the, you know, all the symbols of the world's different religions. And the T, I believe, is a cross. Can I tell you the problem with the coexist bumper sticker? While I'm for freedom of religion and you can worship uh, your version of God any way you see fit, true Christianity doesn't just say, well, all right, well, we'll be a polytheist and accept it, and you just make it to heaven any way you want. That's not, uh, that's not how it works in Christianity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so this idea of everyone get along, because Christianity won't go along with that, then Christianity must be punished. It must be put down and the religious leaders here would arrest Peter and John. We saw in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and would threaten them and then eventually beat them. But it wasn't just religious institutions they had to watch out for. It was political kings. We'll see that tonight in the person of Herod. And then also further down in Matthew 10, we see that it's family and friends that will betray you and deliver you up. Now the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we have seen the church accomplish some pretty incredible things. A mega church was built in Jerusalem. And now church communities or followers of Christ are popping up all over the world. Satan has tried every way possible to, to stymie and limit and even tear down the church. The church was and still is under constant assault. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we saw that Satan tried to use money. Money. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira lying about their money? And what is Satan trying to do? He's attacking the church 
from within. Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, key people in the church, and money is being used to try to divide the church. In Acts 7, we saw murder. Murder. You remember Stephen? The uh, council brought him in and had him stoned and murdered him. And uh, what is Satan trying to do here? He's trying to stop the growth of the church of Jerusalem. And can I tell you, while he did stop the growth of the church in Jerusalem, he created another problem because the people in Jerusalem left Jerusalem and they took the gospel with him. And then in Acts chapter 8, we find him using mimicry. Mimicry. Remember the story of Simon Magus asking, uh, uh, faking his salvation, if you will, and then asking for if he can buy the power of giving out the Holy Ghost. And he's trying to divide the church. Satan is seeking to divide the church. All of these efforts have failed. But Satan's assault against the church never ceases. Let me say that again. 2,000 years later, Satan's assault against the church never ceases. Here in Acts 12, he's going to try yet another angle. He's going to try to use monarchy. Monarchy. And we'll see with Herod Agrippa here in Acts chapter 12 that he's going to try to use a governor or a king, a king in this case, to try to shut down the church. The attempts to limit or shut down the church will fail yet again. By the time we get to Acts 12, Herod will be dead. Not only will it fail, God will use Satan's attempt to hurt the church to grow the church instead. Look down at verse 24 of Acts chapter 12. Look down at verse number 24. The Bible says, But the word of God, this is the very end of the chapter, the word of God grew and multiplied. Here Satan's trying to shut down the church. But after all he does to try to hurt the church, what happens? It grows and it multiplies. It grows and it multiplies. You know why? Because you can't beat God. You can't beat God. He created and authored the church. There are two things that will be around until we get to heaven. And that will be the church and the Bible. No king, no governor, no, uh, uh, no, no attempt of Satan, no matter how clever he becomes, will ever shut down the church and the Bible. Why? Because they are being protected by God in heaven. Just as a parent or spouse should protect and defend their family above all else, God defends his church. You, watch this now, you do not want to get on the wrong side of God and his church. You do not want to criticize or gossip or slander people within the church. You do not want to become a force used by Satan to hurt the church. If that ever becomes you, watch this now, then God will deal with you directly. God will deal with you directly. I've seen people attack our church in my five years of being pastor. I'm not talking about me personally. I'm talking about our church. I've seen people go after our church. And you know what? People say, what are you going to do about it? And I say, I don't have to do anything about it. It's not my church, it's his church. He's going to get them. And you know what? You go after the church long and hard enough, you run God's patience out, he's going to get you. We'll see in Acts 12, Herod opposed the church. And then as a result, God opposed Herod. Together, together tonight, let's notice three observations from this chapter, as we consider the title, God's Punishment to the Church's Persecutor. Number one, notice Herod's detention of Peter. Herod's detention 
of Peter. Letter A, his actions, speaking of Herod, his actions against the church. Look down with me at Acts chapter 12 and look back at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. This is almost just mentioned in passing, but Herod has James, one of the apostles, one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, arrested and murdered, arrested and killed. We know who James is. This is the son of Zebedee. This is the one whose mother asked if her two sons could sit on Jesus' right and left hand in heaven. You remember that conversation? Jesus asked if they were able to drink from the cup. You remember that? Uh, the the mother, mother of James and John came and, and said, Can my son sit on your right hand and left hand? And the disciples got upset with him, not for asking, but because they asked first, because they didn't think of it. That's really why they got upset. And uh, here they are um, asking, and, and Jesus says, Well, I don't know. Are they able to drink of the cup of which I'm going to drink? And James and John said, We are. And Jesus said, You will indeed drink of this cup. Well, here J- James is drinking of the cup. James gets beheaded. Uh, history books tell us that James had his head chopped off because of his faith. Herod had him arrested, and Herod had him killed. James died as a martyr. Um, Satan was using Herod, a political power, to further persecute the church. But James was just um, uh, James was just the warm up. He was really seeing if he could go after the top guy of the church, and that was Peter. Letter A, we see his actions against the church. Letter B, notice his ancestry of persecution. His ancestry of persecution. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew 2. Herod Agrippa here is known throughout history as Herod Agrippa I. His grandfather was the Herod we find in Matthew chapter 2. His title in history is Matthew the Great. So again, stay with me here. Don't daydream. Don't let me lose you. In Acts 12, we have Herod Agrippa I. His grandfather goes back to Jesus' birth, and his name was Herod the Great. Look at Matthew 2, verses 13 through 16. We see that Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, he gets his persecution of, of, of God and God's people from his grandfather. And when they were departed, this is the wise men, they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. And in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time where he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, we read this as though it's history and we're emotionally detached. Can you imagine me and the mom or dad of one of those babies and watching a soldier come in and rip that baby out of your arms or your wife's arms? and Watching them kill that baby right in front of you? Can you imagine the horror of that? How cold-hearted would you have to be that on a whim you just order babies to be killed? Um, Herod Agrippa, who's having James beheaded, 
Uh, listen, if you want to compare, his grandfather was far, far, far worse of a person in his actions, as far as consequences of his actions, than his grandson. He gets it. He has an ancestry of this. Now, his father, so Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12, his grandfather had all the babies killed in an attempt to kill Jesus. His father, Herod Agrippa I, his father, his name was Herod Antipas. And he was ruler over Galilee when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was arrested, he was sent to see Herod Antipas because that he, Jesus, was a Galilean. Pilate would end up making the final call as the ruler over Jerusalem. Herod Agrippa I would oversee the death of James, and his son Herod Agrippa II would send Paul to Rome where he would be beheaded. Herod was from a line of Roman rulers who would persecute Jesus and the early Christians. So who is Herod? Herod Agrippa, he is a man who comes from a heritage, a lineage of persecuting God's people. Letter C, we see his approval from the Jews, his approval from the Jews. So this move was not popular with the church, but it sure was popular with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the council because they hated the church. So when he killed James, boy, they were excited over that. Now watch this. A Roman is murdering a Jew and other Jews are happy about it. That's not good. That's a problem. The, the Jews could not handle their own problems, so they rejoiced. Well, this shouldn't be a shock. These are the same people that got the Romans to murder one of their own in Jesus. Look at verse 3, Acts chapter 12, verse 3. And because he saw it please the Jews, he, Herod, saw it please the Jews. This is the Pharisees and the religious um, uh, organization there. Uh, he, it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. So because he saw this uh, 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 was approved by the Jews, this was lauded by the Jews as a good thing, he thought, well, then I'll move on and I'll get Peter. He's the, he's the big fish. Let's get him. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 3, Then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he had apprehended him, he put him into prison and delivered him to four corin, uh, 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 let's see, quarter, qu- qu- I'm having a hard time here. What? That word, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. I had no problem reading it uh, and studying the message. I'm tongue-tied up here. The politicians of yesteryear were no different than the politicians of today. Herod figured out what, um, that by persecuting the church, he was making his religious, the religious uh, establishment happy. This made him, watch this word now, popular. Popular. Herod had no axe to grind with the church. But he detained Peter and planned to kill him. Why? It was politically expedient. Isn't that what politicians do today? Whatever makes them popular. It's amazing how politicians can flip and flop on a topic depending on what the polls say. Right? There are politicians, I'll avoid names, there are politicians... In 2008, they said they were against gay marriage. Less than two years later, those same politicians said they were for it. Did their views change, or did it just become popular to say that? Now, um, I, I'm glad our, our political system is structured to where we, can't, we don't have our president just ordered to have someone's head chopped off. 
Because I think the last couple of presidents probably would have been ordering heads chopped off. Right? Um, I'm glad we have safety nets in place. By the way, I'm not a big rabbit chaser, but I'm going to chase a rabbit just a little ways off the trail. I'm going to do it on purpose. Okay? Before you go off thinking that you are better than people from another sect of history, you know, like the Nazi soldiers that persecuted the Jews or whatever you want to look at, if you had grown up through those systems and you didn't grow up in a land of prosperity like America, there's a very good chance you would have become and done the same atrocities they did. You know why? Because in our heart, we're evil. We just happen to live in a land of prosperity. We happen to live in a land that teaches us a better structure. But you let America sink down low enough and you let people get to a place where they're desperate enough, we're all capable of anything but for the grace of God. Here he had Peter arrested, not because he hated Peter. He didn't have an axe to grind with Peter. He had Peter arrested because it was, it was politically expedient. Number one, we see Herod's detention of Peter. Number two, Peter's deliverance from prison. Now, this is a neat part of the sermon. Let's look at letter A, the prison's security. Okay, look at verse number 4. And when he had apprehended him, he put him into prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. I'm just going to go with that. To keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. So he has him, he has him locked down in prison. I mean on a heavy level. This is maximum security prison. He's inside of a prison, inside of a prison, inside of a prison. And not only that, he has Peter at nighttime strapped to soldiers. We'll see in a minute. He's actually chained to two soldiers who are sitting right next to him. There's no way that Peter could escape this prison on his own. There's no way the other disciples are going to break in and get him out. There's no way. The mightiest of men were there. They had him guarded. He was under top-notch security. So we see here, the point is Peter's deliverance from prison. No matter how hard Herod worked to keep Peter under lock and key, uh, God could step in and do something greater. Look at this, letter B, the church's supplication. The church's supplication. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. If you mark in your Bible, will you highlight or underline this next part of the verse? But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Hey, doesn't it does not matter how, how impossible the situation was. The church got together and prayed, and we're going to see in a minute something incredible happen. James 16, we hear regularly the effectual. That means earnest. That means you're putting effort into it. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I, I got a, a funny little story here. Reggie, I hope you don't mind me telling the story about your tooth here. So a, a couple of weeks ago on a Friday, Reggie woke up and his neck was swollen. He had an abscessed tooth, and it was so bad that his neck had swollen up on him, and he, he, he couldn't function, and he couldn't hardly even get out of bed. He'd been dealing with toothache for a long time and just taking medicine to try to mask the pain. Well, things had gotten out of, out of hand to a place where he, he was in a, just a world of pain. And so um, he, he makes his way into the church building, and uh, he's trying to figure out, do I go to the ER? What do I do with this thing? And 
he stumbles into Marcia's office. Well, if you know Marcia, she's not here tonight. Um, she had some business to take care of. But if you know Marcia, the woman prays over everything all the time. And I'm not picking on her for it. In fact, this is meant to kind of make the point what she does is good. And there's nothing too trivial that she won't pray for. I, we've been out and about, and, you know, maybe someone puts their keys down and can't find them. And, and you look over, and she's sitting there praying. The, the keys get found, and sure enough, five minutes later, the, the keys get found. Well, Reggie's just, he's in a world of pain. And he walks into Marcia's office, and Marcia says, let's pray. And so she prays and prays and prays. She gets into this long-winded prayer. And Reggie told me later, he's told Marcia this as well, I was just getting aggravated. How long are you going to pray? I'm hurting. Hurry it up. And, um, and she prayed that somehow, some way, that, those two, that, those, that, that tooth that was bothering him, ended up being two teeth, would get pulled. And they'd find a way to make it happen. He needed an oral surgeon. And you, to find one of those on the fly, especially within an insurance company, is next to impossible. Well, some phone calls were made, and then the ladies came in, down here on Friday morning for their normal prayer meeting, and they began to pray. And they began to pray and pray and pray for Reggie. And lo and behold, the oral surgeon that just so happened to be connected to a church member travels around the whole state to do surgeries, just so happened to be in Stratford that day, just so happened to have an opening on the books, just so happened to take his insurance, just so happened to be able to get him in, and before the prayer meeting was over, his teeth were pulled and he was given antibiotics to deal with the infection. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. Don't tell me it doesn't work. Um, Ian Bounds said, prayer breaks all bars, dissolves all chains, opens all prisons, and widens all straits by which God's saints have been held. You know, uh, Reggie that night, or that day, came back to me and he said, man, I feel guilty for getting aggravated with Marcia over praying for me. And I said, Brother Reggie, I know exactly how you feel. All right, I've had, been one of those prayer meetings. Um, here you have the church supplicating for Peter. We'll see in a minute, the church didn't even believe in what they were praying, but they were praying. And I'll just add here, even when you don't believe that God will pray anyway. Letter C, we see an angelic salvation. Look at verse number 6. I love this part of the story. Kids, if you have a Bible, will you look at it with me? Uh, boys, let's sit up straight and tall and not talk, okay? Look, at, look down at verse number 6. If you have your Bibles, this is a neat story in the Bible. It says, And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garments about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. 
Here he's locked in prison. He's chained between uh, two prison guards. He's inside of a, a layer of a prison that's inside of another layer of a prison that's inside of another layer of prison. All three layers are guarded with uh, uh, prison guards, prison keepers. And lo and behold, what happens is that an angel comes in with a light, maybe a flashlight, maybe the angel is just shining, and he bops Peter on the side and wakes him up and he says, Get up! And Peter kind of looks around and Peter gets up, and as soon as he does, his chains fall off. And he says, get dressed. And Peter quickly puts on his clothes, and he says, follow me. And man, they walk out one layer of the prison after the other. He leads them out of the first and second ward of the prison, and they get out onto the main street, and the angel says, all right, see you later. And off the angel goes. And the whole time, the Bible says, Peter thinks he's dreaming. He just thinks this is a vision, kind of like when the blanket was lowered, you know, when he was told to, to rise, kill, and eat. He just thinks he's dreaming. And he's standing there, and, you know, it, the sun's starting to come up. And he, he pinches himself. He says, is this real? Is Hey, hit me. Oh, yep, that hurt. Okay. Yep, uh, I, this is real. And so, man, he takes off. The angel came through. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6. The Bible says, For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I'm reminded of the story of the three Hebrew boys who told the king in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18, But if not... But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will serve, not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know what, uh, Christian? I want you to understand this. God is always, always, always able to come through in your situation. Watch this now. It's not a matter of can, uh, can God. It's a matter of will God. Will God. Sometimes we have high hopes that God's going to come through for us in a particular situation. I can remember uh, having some, some bills come in at some point in, in our, my married life and, and thinking, you know, you, you hear these preachers preach and they talk about how a check just ends up in the, in the mailbox. You know what I mean? And I went to my mailbox. Pastor Brown tells a story like that, right? And there's a check there. And I, I wasn't expecting it. And, and I've had times in my life where I've needed to pay bills and, I'm waiting on that check, and guess what? The check doesn't come. Now, hold on. Does that mean God can't? No. It means God chose not to. Here these three boys are saying, we're not bowing down to your idol, Nebuchadnezzar, because our God's going to deliver us. But if he chooses not to, we're not going to bow anyway. We're not going to bow anyway. My friend, God can come through, but he's looking for our faith. He's looking for our prayer. Letter D, the, women, uh, the women's skepticism. The women's skepticism. Look down at verse number 11. This is, this is maybe the funniest passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. It's a pretty serious book, but this is pretty humorous. Look at verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the, of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. 
And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and while they had opened, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now this is, a, Jesus had two disciples named James. This would have been the other James here. So uh, let me just recount the story here for you. So Peter gets out of prison. And it's, you know, the sun's starting to come up, and he's thinking, where do I go? i, I got to go somewhere. So he goes to the home of Mary. Now, this is John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. This is his mother. He goes to her house, and he's outside banging on the gate, hoping that no one in authority sees him. He's banging on the gate and banging on the gate. Well, the women are in the inside, and they're having a prayer meeting that God will save Peter. And they're in there praying and praying and praying. They've been praying all night. And, and there's banging on the gate. And so they send little Rhoda, just a little girl, maybe April's age or Jasmine's age, to go see who's out there. And so she goes and she gets up next to the gate. She says, who is it? Who is it? Fearful, obviously, it could be the Roman government. And Peter says, it's me, Peter. Let me in. And Rhoda gets really excited. Oh, our prayers have been answered. This is awesome. And she turns around and leaves Peter standing outside the gate. And she runs inside and she says, it's Peter. He's out there. He's out there. And there, now, no, she interrupts a prayer meeting where they're praying for Peter to be saved from prison. And she says, it's Peter. And they say, it can't be Peter. There's no way it's Peter. That's impossible. What are you praying for if you don't think he can be saved from prison? And she persists, no, I know that was Peter's voice. He claimed to be Peter. He sounds like Peter. It's Peter. And they say, no, 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 can't be Peter. You know, maybe Herod already killed him, and maybe his angel has come back to the gate. And so they go out to the gate, and they open it, and it's Peter. Their prayer had been answered. And Peter comes in, and they are so excited, Peter has to tell them to... Hold their peace. Now, another way of saying hold their peace is be quiet. Another way to say be quiet is, you know. I'm, we've got kids in the room, amen? We've got to behave ourselves. Um, he tells them to hush up. Shh, you're going to give things away. Things are getting too crazy here. Now, let me just make this point tonight. How many of you here have ever prayed for God to answer a prayer, but while you were praying it, you either didn't believe he could or that he would? Would you raise your hand? Do you know that God can answer those prayers too? The Bible says to move a mountain, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, when I was a boy, my, uh, my grandmother was not saved, and my dad would say to me, my mom would say to me every night when she tucked me in, pray for your grandma to get saved. And I would pray, and she wouldn't get saved. I have a confession to make. About five years of praying for my grandmother, I got to a place where I believed God wasn't hearing my prayer, and I quit praying. Now, I would get back on track 
a little later. But I quit praying. Because I either believed in my heart that either God couldn't or God wouldn't. Hear my prayer. Can I just encourage the church tonight? Can you all look up here at me? This is, this is maybe the most important thing I'll say tonight. Some of you in here have a big need in your life. And you quit praying. Because you feel like you're wasting your time and your breath. Can I encourage you that if it is of God for you to pray for it, that you persist in prayer? Even if in your heart there is skepticism toward God, there is doubt toward God, even if you are discouraged, pray anyway. Pray anyway. Day after day, week after week, month after month. You know, you spend five to ten years of praying for something, and then it comes true. There is no more joyous occasion in the life of a Christian than persisting in prayer for something for decades and then getting that answer come true. I think of Pauline Moisick, who prayed for her husband to be saved close to four or five decades. She came into church, My husband got saved! Pray and never give up. Because even when we doubt in prayer, God hears those prayers. Letter E, the prison keeper's sentence. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now let's get back talking about Herod here. We saw his detention. We're looking at Peter's uh, uh, deliverance. But let's talk about how ruthless Herod was. 18. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? You bet, you think? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he, Herod, went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. Can you imagine being that prison guard strapped to Peter and you wake up and he's gone? Can you imagine looking at every single one of those soldiers? Can you imagine how terrified they were that he was gone? Herod comes in and in a hot-blooded rage, he says, I want all of these guys dead. Herod was not a good person. Herod was a man full of himself. The event of Peter's escape, you know what it did to Herod? It embarrassed him. Now, when people are filled with pride, have their ego damaged, they generally overreact. Nebuchadnezzar had the fiery furnace turned up seven times hotter. Haman wanted Mordecai not just killed but hung on the gallows. Herod the Great slew all babies two years and younger because he was embarrassed by the wise men. Herod Agrippa uh, doesn't fire the soldiers or punish the soldiers. He orders to have them all killed. Now watch this. I've noticed this pattern with a lot of people that have their ego, a big ego. I've had at times in my life, I've had to deal with my own ego. When your ego gets injured, you are tempted to overreact and overrespond. One way to know that you have a pride problem is that when you get embarrassed, you overreact. 
a parent who severely punishes a child because that child embarrasses them at lunch with another couple. A husband who overreacts with his wife or wife overreacts with her husband because she's embarrassed by something he or she did. And uh, the overreaction is severe. Uh, That's a sign. You have an ego problem. You have a pride problem. Another thought here, Herod persecuted the church and God punished the persecutor of the church. Here, Herod is killing James and arresting Peter. And the Lord comes in and says, let me show you, Herod. And he gets Peter out, embarrassing Herod. Number one, we see Herod's detention of Peter. Number two, Peter's deliverance from prison. Number three, and lastly, notice Herod's death due to pride. Let's look at verse number 20. The Bible says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace because their county was nourished, or their country rather was nourished by the king's country. Someone once said, absolute power absolutely corrupts. Herod had so much power that the people of Tyre and Sidon, who were under his reign, were going to do what, what they could to make amends with Herod. So they invite him to, get, to a get-together, and they catered the king for their own gain. They flattered the king. They gave him gifts. They made him feel special because they were courting him, because they wanted to get back in his good favor, because it was to their advantage uh, economically to be in his favor. Now, here in Acts chapter 12, Herod is, Herod is a type of Antichrist. One day the nations of the world will hail and worship the Antichrist so that they can be clothed and fed. That's exactly what was going on here. Letter A, notice, his clothing was showy. His clothing was showy. Look back at verse number 20, Acts 12, verse 20. The Bible says, And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. Now, Josephus, the secular historian, it was a personal friend of Agrippa, and he said about this event, and this is right out of a, a history book from the, that timeline when Josephus was alive. Josephus wrote, Now when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city Caesarea, which was formerly called Stratos Tower. And there he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar upon his being informed that there was a certain festival celebrated to make vows for his safety, at which festival a great multitude was gotten together of the principal persons and such were of dignity through his province. On the second day of which shows, shows he put on a garment made holy of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent and to spread a horror over those that looked uh, intently upon him. So according to uh, Josephus, who wrote about the event, may have even been at the event, he said that the clothing of uh, of Herod, he was dressed in silver, and he chose to come in at a time of the day where the sun would hit his outfit and make him glow like an angel. We see that uh, Herod is just totally filled with himself. This is right on the hill, heels of having those soldiers murdered. Letter B, his ego was stroked. His ego was stroked. Look with me at verse number 21, Acts chapter 12, verse 21. The Bible says, And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, look here, and made an oration unto them. So he's given a political speech. 
He's probably not reading off a teleprompter. They didn't have those back then. But he's got prepared notes, and he's giving his speech. Look at verse 22. And again, these people have great incentive to stroke his ego uh, because uh, they're trying to get back in good favor with him. 22, and the people gave a shout saying, look here, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. It is the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, again, these people needed Herod's favor to better their own well-being. Herod was so full of himself, all he cared about was their praise and accolades, he couldn't even see through, their, through it as just being flattery. Now, when, turn back over to Acts chapter 10, verse 25. When someone compares you with God, you sure had better correct them quickly. Someone goes on and singing your praises, you better be real, real, real quick, quick to defer the glory to God. Acts chapter 10, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Verse 26. How did Peter respond in contrast to Herod? But Peter took him up saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Uh, The Lord smote me this week. I made this mistake on a lower level this week. I was visiting my uncle, my dad's brother, staying with him in his house this past week. And he was asking me about our church and asking questions about what goes on here. He asked if he could hear me preach. And so I helped him on his phone get over to our YouTube page. And he started listening to last Sunday morning's sermon. And then my dad called right in the middle. And he began to uh, speak way over the top in flowery descriptions of my preaching. And immediately my heart became filled with pride. The very next morning I sat down and began to study this passage. And God said, you allowed your ego to get stroked, just like Herod allowed his to get stroked. We all like when people pay us compliments. Right? You better be quick to defer and give God the glory. Here, they're telling him, you are like a God. And he's acting like Lucifer. Lucifer, what was his great sin in heaven? It was pride. He wanted to elevate his throne to the same plane as God's throne. God had enough of Herod's persecution of his church. God had enough of Herod's pride. Let her see, we see his death was sudden. His death was sudden. Look at 23 and we'll be done. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was Mark. We'll talk about verse 25 more next week as that launches us into Acts 13. What happened here? Herod is sitting on his throne. He's giving a speech. The people are clapping. Man, standing ovations left and right. He is, he's wearing the silver outfit. Sun's coming in, hitting him. He's glowing. And these people are flattering him. And at the end they say, He's like a god! And he gets a big grin on his face. His heart swells up with pride. Watch this, kids. This is a great sermon to be here for. Worms 
take him over. He falls over on the ground and he dies. And the worms come up and begin to eat his flesh right there on the spot. Hey, God ain't playing around with his glory. Herod said, I'll persecute the church and I'll be arrogant about it. And God said, you're going to die today. And he was dead. He was dead. Listen, my friend. God wants the glory. It's His church. It's not ours. I finish with this. It is God who loves the church and looks after her as a devoted parent watches over a child. Is the church flawed? Yes! There is no perfect church in America. There is no perfect pastor in America. There are no perfect deacons in America. There are no perfect church members in America. Some of you want to throw stones at me or throw stones at each other. Maybe take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and realize you're pretty broken yourself. You better be careful about attacking God's church. You get on the wrong side of God's church, it may very well be you that God strikes dead. Now, I'm not just trying to, I'm not trying to threaten anyone this evening. I'm trying to say that you better be very, very, very careful about being critical of God's church. Now, where there's sin, it needs to be addressed. Where you have a problem with someone, including the pastor, you need to go talk to him. But you better be careful about hindering the work of the Lord's church. Because God doesn't deal well with that. And Christians tonight, I would just say this to you. Be very careful about not letting your heart get lifted up in pride. If there's one sin we all in here struggle with on some level, it's the sin of pride. Every one of us. P-R-I-D-E. You know what the middle letter of pride is, don't you? It's I. It's I. We better make sure it's less of us and more about Jesus. Amen? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, thank you tonight for a chance to open up the Bible. Look at this chapter. And Lord, Satan threw yet one more dart at the church, one more attempt to try to torch the church. And Lord, when you put fire under gold, it just becomes more purified. Lord, we're thankful that this is your church. It's not ours. It's not definitely not mine. It belongs to you. You bought it. You build it. Lord, help us to do our part to get involved. Get on track with that. Lord, help us to be loyal to the church. Help us to be faithful in our giving, and not only of our finances, but our time and our energy. May we not be casual, but may we be committed. And Lord, we're thankful for it. Lord, help move in our hearts tonight. And you move and work and convict and prod where necessary. In Jesus' name.